Welcome to 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo, where I help passionate entrepreneurs condense an hour of business research into 22 minutes of powerful conversations filled with knowledge, stories, and advice to help you achieve your one-year goal in 90 days. From national stages to your earbuds, I'm here to tell you that it's possible to have a profitable and sustainable business without the fear of overwhelm and uncertainty that comes with being an entrepreneur. It's all mojo and none of the fluff. It's time to get motivated in 22 minutes. Welcome back to this week's episode of 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo. This is our brand performance podcast. Now, today our performance conversation is with our special guest, Tony Curtin. You know, Tony's invested over 10 years of research and data collection to translate the neurobiology of resilience and high-performance readiness into behavioral code-based insights. And that is the stem of this conversation for you today. And so, Tony, thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Okay, so let's dig right in. You know, the people that are listening to this podcast, they're high achievers, high performers, and this is your wheelhouse, right? It's that it's the cognitive side of of performance and Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that neurobiology. And so give our listeners a really good understanding, Tony, of what is this that you're doing and how does it apply to them? Well, if I can just provide a little context, I'm the co-founder of the business that we're in. My, my partner in the business is a neurologist, um, and the team primarily consists of himself uh, and other neuroscientists, so PhD-level neuroscientists on the research side uh, and in other areas of, of how we have built our business. And through the 10 years that we've been doing this, we have been assessing a large number of leaders in organizations, uh, educators, students, physicians, and so on. Uh, We have a a very robust assessment, and that has allowed us to build the data uh, and to begin to understand, you know, what are the real drivers of high performance in the workplace? You know, what, what is it that allows us, as we walk through the door in the morning, to be prepared to perform at our absolute best? And, and, and what is it that allows your employees to do the same? Absolutely. Um, and we think that we've developed a pretty deep understanding of that. Okay, so top level, give us some understanding. You know, what is it? You know, what are those key indicators for that to happen, to be a high achiever, high performer? Well, we identified uh, what we refer to as 10 drivers of high performance. Uh, we sort of put them into three categories. The first of these is what we call the foundational drivers. Uh, which are increasingly important, by the way, in the circumstances that we're all living through right now. And these are exercise and movement. um, And we consider exercise and movement to be different. They're not exactly the same thing. Nutrition and and the the kinds of nutrients that you put in your body each day, uh, the amount of sleep and the quality of the sleep that you get in the evening at night. Um, And then whether or not the practice of what we refer to as silencing the mind is a daily rhythm, and we think that importantly that that it should be. And this is really just another a form of meditation that has a more kind of, if you like, a science-based approach to it. The second category that we look at is what we refer to as the emotional driver system. Uh, and in the workplace, probably possibly the most important of these is what we refer to as social safety, which is your sense of belonging, your sense of of making a meaningful contribution, your sense of identity in the workplace, and the sense of trust. And obviously, under, again, the circumstances that we're all living in right now, this is one that has been challenged because we now all, you know, virtually uh, many of us work remotely. Um, we don't have day-to-day, you know, physical and, 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 and face-to-face contact with the people that we work with. And so 
this becomes a, an increasingly important driver in our view of your ability to perform at your highest level. And the reason for that is, and I'll stay with this one for a moment because it's so important. The reason for that is the brain is paying constant attention to, to threats. In fact, uh, we know from the neuroscience that the brain is likely to pay more attention to a threat by a factor of about four or five relative to, say, an opportunity. And the reason for that is a threat can kill you in an opportunity crime. And so if a member of your team, for example, feels like he or she does not belong in the team and doesn't have a really good sense of identity with the team and maybe even doesn't trust the, the leader of the team or whatever it is, the brain is paying a, a constant attention to that and therefore is undermining that person's capacity to perform, to be creative, to be innovative, uh, to pay focused attention and so on. So social safety, as we call it, is a, is a primary driver of performance in the workplace. The other is what we refer to, the other emotional driver is what we refer to as collective creativity. And this is the capacity of a team to work together to be creative. Um, and there's some very interesting work there as well, where the diversity of the team, in other words, the, the, skill, the mix of skills, the mix of backgrounds, the mix of worldviews, uh, contributes to, to, to higher levels of creativity. Interestingly, MIT found that even gender mix um, has a direct effect on the capacity of a team uh, to perform at a high level. So more or less equal mix of genders contributes to a higher level of, of creativity. But perhaps the most important factor in collective creativity is, is what we think of as equal turn-taking. In other words, does each member of the team feel like they have an equal opportunity to contribute that, that also contributes to higher levels of creativity? The third emotional driver is what we refer to as goal directiveness. And this is a, an unconscious, innate brain state. So it's not goal setting, which is a different thing. You know, when the team sets a set of goals, that's one thing. But what we look at is, is how goal directed is the team? How goal directed is each member of the team? And goal directedness can be enhanced by certain behaviors and undermined by others. So it can be undermined, for example, by negative intrusive thoughts. So again, that comes back to if someone feels like they don't belong, they're probably sitting there thinking negative intrusive thoughts, and that's undermining their ability to be goal-directed. So, so those are all examples of, of what we look at. And then the final set of, of drivers are what we refer to as the higher order drivers, and this is, has to do with your learning capacity. So that's your ability not to just sit down and, and, and learn something from a textbook, but your capacity to absorb that knowledge and retain it, your capacity uh, to lay down those long-term memories so that you continuously learn. And as we all know, in today's incredibly rapidly changing world, uh, we have to keep learning. And so learning capacity is what we refer to as a higher order driver. There's a question in there right there, um, you know, because part of, I think, high performance is consistently doing something, right? Following. Right a very consistent path. Does that fall under that umbrella of, of a high order driver, you know, with the learning capacity? And when you say, you know, to absorb and then to yes. attain, yes. you know, how yes. does that feed into that? Tell, give our listeners some, some direction there. The thing about the brain, you know, is that it's constantly aware of what's going on in the outside world. So the second of these higher order drivers is what we refer to abstraction, which is the brain's capacity to make sense of what's going on, what's going on in the external world. Um, and so that combined with your, your capacity for learning allows you on the job to, to, to pay attention and, and then to move into the third of these 
higher order drivers, which we which we call executive function, which is now the frontal part of the brain and its ability to really pay attention, focus, solve problems, and so on. So, so it's the combination of these things that really allows you to perform at the higher level. And so we always think of uh, brain and body as one complete system. So when we look at these drivers, we think of them as, as always connected and always continuously connected and always influencing one another. And so if, for example, right at the, at the foundational level, we're all sitting at home and we're not moving enough and we're not exercising, that begins to undermine your resilience, but it also begins to undermine your capacity to perform. And so we now have to pay, under the current circumstances, much more attention to certain behaviors than we would have if we were driving into the office every day. Wow, that's a catalyst. Now, too, when you and I were connecting and you know, having an earlier conversation, you, know, you said you know, high performance kind of comes down to resilience and adaptability. Right. Give our listeners some, some more in-depth you know, as, as we talk about resilience and high performance. Well, we think of, you know, typically we think of resilience as, you know, grit and determination and the ability to bounce back. Um, we, because, of, because we're a neuroscience business, we look at resilience from a neurobiological and a neuropsychological perspective. So what is it that's going on in the, the total brain-body system that is either undermining your resilience or optimizing it at any point in time? And we consider resilience to be really the foundation for high performance. If, you, if you're not resilient, it's really obviously, as, as you can understand, it's very difficult to perform at a high level. And so again, in the current circumstances, resilience, resilience becomes more and more important. And, and also, you know what, here's a, here's a fascinating thing that we are tracking in our studies. Uh, we are tracking what we consider to be the primary predictors of resilience under COVID versus what they were before this pandemic broke out. And it's been fascinating because they have changed and they've changed significantly. So before COVID, the number one predictor of your capacity to be resilient was how optimistic you are. So optimism played the key role in your ability to be resilient. Today under COVID, the number one and number two predictors of resilience are exercise diversity and exercise duration. So Diversity meaning not just, you know, getting on a treadmill for 20 minutes, but mixing it up with some strength training and some complex motor activity and so on. And then the duration of that. So what we are seeing is that in order to maintain a high level of resilience under our current circumstances, we really do need to move more and exercise more if at all possible. Reducing negative thought patterns is another one that undermines our resilience under the current circumstances. That's now moved up into the third place in terms of how we can build resilience and what other things we can do to avoid undermining our ability to be resilient. So negative intrusive thoughts have a direct uh, effect on our ability to be resilient. Optimism, on the other hand, has moved way down the list, which is not surprising given the current circumstances. So these predictors of resilience, we think, have become really important. And they allow us to go back to our clients and say, listen, here are the things that you need to be doing in these circumstances. Right. Here's a complete validator. You know, I've worked with high performers, high achievers since 1989, right? What makes mm. people tick? I always like to say we have to strengthen our positive, optimistic muscle. Mm-hmm. And so I did a lot of work and, you know, and really put a level of understanding and research behind the power of recognition, how to self-recognize what's going right, what's feeling good. 
Because yes. I think, and, and you can attest to this, you know, we're naturally wired to see the negative. And based on all the, that you're talking about, goes into that emotional, social safety, right? Is mm-hmm. it fight or flight mode and, and that negative um, right, l- right, look right, right, into that right. lens? But understanding, you know, um, you know, I created a, a complete strategy called success boarding around this to teach people how to strengthen that muscle, how to look at the silver lining, um, not always come to the table, come to the meeting, you know, come with things aren't working, this isn't going well, we're going to fail. Rather, what are the three things that went right or felt good this week? And just that simple little action of reframing has really moved a mountain and and recognition. And here, okay, Tony, I'm going to ask you this. These are the key factors that I've noticed. We need to be recognized, we need to be validated, and we need to be inspired. Mm-hmm. How do those three indicators in which the way I see performance, <laughs> yeah, yeah. how does right. that apply? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you talk about optimism and having a better outlook on life, what we look at then is, is how does that, how does optimism affect this, what we refer to as the brain body system? So you are absolutely spot on when it comes to helping your clients work on their capacity, if you'd like, to be more optimistic, to have a brighter view of the future because that makes you more resilient and we know that from the science and so pre-covid optimism was always the number one predictor of resilience so what you were doing with with helping your clients be more optimistic if i I can put it that way was also helping them become more resilient yeah very very powerful you know and and that's that's been a dream that was on my 2020 goal is to um, have a segment on good morning america and actually show the power of this strategy because it's been a game changer in, in the level of performance that, you know, that I've witnessed over the years in yes, connecting people to that very, very simple dot. It's of- not surprising. It's not surprising, Marla, because, you know, if, you, if, you can, if someone can learn to be more optimistic and have a better outlook on life, and by the way, some of the, the other drivers of that, if you'd like, are, you know, just gratitude and kindness lead to higher levels of optimism. And higher levels of optimism then reduce the possibility of negative intrusive thoughts, which then increases your goal directedness and so on. So you see how all these things um, interact. They, they always do. They, everything is connected. You know, what we do is we often work with clients. We assess them in the beginning, and then we assess them again three or four months later when they've been through our program to see whether they've made some advances in terms of their learning capacity, their innovation capacity, uh, their self-leadership capacities, and so on. And we find over and over again that, you know, if you, if you just add more diverse movement through the day than you had before, that that begins to affect not only your, your health and your wellness, but also your social safety, your goal directedness, your learning capacity, and so on. So all these things are connected. Mm. Um, and that's why we always look at it as one system. Yes, yes. Okay, so another thing I want our, our audience to hear is, you know, you and I had a conversation about the physiology of like being in a relaxed state, that readiness mm-hmm. to respond mm-hmm. that allows you to kind of like I always um, I wrote in the book, The Making of a Maverick, you know, that peaceful, that easy hum, that gentle mm-hmm. hum and mm-hmm. that kind of level of consistency about our performance. Give right. us some insight on what you know in that space, Tony. Well, what my Etienne, my, my neurologist partner will tell you is that your ability to move back into a relaxed, what we refer to as a relaxed physiological state, right, really is at the the base of everything, right? And so when we fail to move back into a relaxed physiological state, or we don't know how to, and we begin to feel a continuous level of stress as as, as the other side of that, 
that begins to create, you know, inflammation throughout the system and all the rest of it and undermines the whole system, undermines resilience and your capacity to perform and so on. So hugely important is your ability to move back into that state through, for example, what we refer to as silencing the mind or mindfulness or some form of meditation, deep breathing. Um, I have learned through my partnership how important deep breathing is and how to do that properly. You know, to take that deep breath down into the belly, hold it for a few seconds, breathe out slowly through the mouth. And I do that now several times a day. And every time I start to feel a little stressed, that's what I do. And so those are simple things, you know, that one can do it in the office or at home or anywhere else. You can train yourself to move back into that relaxed physiological state. There's no question about it. Even when you're under a fair amount of stress, and let's face it, <laughs> we're all under a lot of stress right now. This too, Tony, you know, I try to simplify and make things tangible, right? Because mm. we talk about performance, it's, you know, it's a word, right? People aren't necessarily always relating to it. But to perform, like I think I shared with you, you know, the strategy at 19 years old, I was working three jobs, I was going to school, I lived on my own, you know, there's just a lot of stressors. And right. I started to adopt that simple principle on a Friday, I would come in, you know, the end of the week, I would come home, I would take a shower, kind of just like get fresh put on a sweatshirt because it was comfy and order a pizza, right? Because mm -hmm. that comfort food was real simple. Right. It was doable. <laughs> and so that was my way at 19 years old to, to get myself grounded again. So I could mm. then leverage mm. into that next mm. phase. Mm. So as you hear me speak that, you know, sweatshirt, shower and a pizza strategy, and it's something that I teach high level CEOs and executives today. What's the value of taking those types of actions? And how does this play into that, you know, that silencing our mind and relaxed state? Well, the, the most important value is that uh, it reduces the potential uh, to move into a state of chronic stress. And any doctor will tell you that a continuous state of chronic stress will eventually kill you because it inflames the whole system. It inflames the brain, the body, it inflames everything. So learning how to, how to avoid that or how to move out of that state of stress into a more relaxed physiological state is key to, to pretty much thriving in life. So, so purposefully doing the sort of things that you were doing as a 19 year old uh, and purposely building those things into your daily rhythms, your daily routines, we think can really transform your life. And yes. I, I, you know, I have worked with many clients. I, I spent a year working with, with people in an active adult community to see whether what this kind of thinking could affect uh, people already in their 60s and 70s and, and, and how that could affect their lives. Uh, and there's no question about it. I mean, you can you can actually slow down the aging process if you if you do these things properly. And you know, it, it's just a fascinating conversation. You know, I love people and I love performance. Those are the two things that I really value the most. And I love this conversation with you, Tony, because it's helping us gain greater insight into how those two really do connect. You know, how do people mm. perform, but mm. do it in such a way that um, you know it can be at that very high level but the necessary tools that go behind feeding that high level performance is everything. So, right. okay, we're coming into the close here. I do want to touch on just really quickly before we do close out, you know, you had mentioned that MIT had done some research and study, you know, can you give our audience some, some insight into, you know, into those inner workings that you had with MIT and how they are feeding into this research? Well, they use, they use our assessment in their executive programs uh, at the Sloan School of Business at MIT. And they've done this since, I think, about 2014. So what happens is people participating in executive programs who then attend 
a neuroscience for leadership course that is led by a London-based executive coach and, and neuroscientist by the name of Tara Swart. She leads that course. And they have for years now used the assessment. And the reason for that is it generates a very personal report, a personalized report. And so we're able to then teach to that group the sort of things that you and I have been talking about for the past 20 minutes. And, and that's how that works. So, and again, you know, we've, we've been able to collect all that data. Um, we have an enormous amount of data on, on leaders and how they effectively, how they live their lives and what is it about the way they are living their lives that is either continuously undermining their capacity to perform or optimizing it. Um, and what most people don't realize is how many small things we do every day in the workplace, especially in the workplace, that undermine our capacity to perform. Mm, love it. What a rich conversation. Tony, you've been an absolute delight. Where can we find you? Like, as our audience is listening to this, of course, you know, there'll be links in the show notes, but do you have a website? Where, what kind of social media and how can we connect to you, Tony? I don't have a website. I just, I use LinkedIn a lot. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I, I, I Twitter, but I'm not a huge Twitter user. Our website is neurozone.com. So, so all of this information that we've been talking about uh, you can find on neurozone.com as well. And, and I'm, you know, and if you want to email me, I'm at just at Tony at neurozone.com. So that's, it's as simple as that. Awesome. This is amazing. All right. So to learn more about Tony Curtin and the work that he is doing, you can simply visit our website at marlohiggins.com where you can add Tony to your circle of influence, connect to his resources and learn more. Tony, this has been just a great, insightful um, engagement. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Marla. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining us today. And we invite you to share this podcast with others. And thank you in advance for your partnership. If you enjoyed this episode and it left you feeling inspired, share your biggest takeaway in our Perform and Get Paid community Facebook page. This is where we engage and respond to your questions. This is Marlo Higgins, your host and Chief Inspirational Officer. Have an awesome rest of your day. Did you enjoy this podcast? If so, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. As your Chief Inspirational Officer, I coach passionate entrepreneurs like you to achieve complete confidence and clarity to reach your one-year goal in 90 days. Learn how you can get more done in less time with my number one proven formula for consistency and clarity. Simply go to go.marlohiggins.com to download. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next week on 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo.